We are in the midst of a series, we're talking about thriving with truth, and we are taking our articles of faith, there are, there are eight of them, and we're talking about them from the perspective of, of exactly what God, God's word says. And again, there's a lot of scriptures that we could choose with each one of these articles. Uh, Pastor David was led, he wrote the overview for the series to each of these scriptures, and so we're excited to preach each, each one of them. This week, a supplemental reading, I was, I was reading the Heidelberg Confession and the Westminster Confession and the London Confession and our own articles. And, and it's so encouraging to see how the Orthodox faith has been passed down from generation to generation and how we hold now these, these wonderful truths, these wonderful doctrines that, that provide for us a clear understanding of reality. You know, we gotta, we gotta make sure we understand this, this very fact about doctrine. Doctrine is not simply something that, that we know. It's not simply uh, something that's meant to be known. It's meant to be lived. And so doctrine taught from God's word requires a response. A response is required from each one of us today. And I would encourage you to think through what response you need to make in light of God's word today. Last week, we focused on God. And here's our statement on God. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three persons are equal in divinity, authority, and glory, and yet each has personal attributes and distinct functions. Because of his triune nature, God is both transcendent over all creation and personally involved in this world as the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. Today, we're, we're going to talk about our doctrine on humanity. And we cannot understand our humanity apart from God's divinity. And so I wanted to remind you, I wanted us to once again look at that statement about God because having a right understanding of God allows us to have a right understanding of ourselves. Here's our statement on humanity. We believe that God created humanity in his own image as male and female. Each human being is an eternal soul a purpose to exist for God's glory. Human beings have an intrinsic dignity that is given to us by nature of God himself who made us in his image. We all have, we all have a way of thinking about humanity. We all have a perspective that, that we look at this from, uh, you know, using the big words, epistemologically, that is how we process our, our own sense of being and the being of what it means to be a human being. For instance, secularists. Secularists believe that we're all an accident. They don't know where the something came from, but something happened and something else touched something else and then something happened and now we're something and we're sitting here and we're something, but we don't know what that something is, but it's, it's something. Humanists believe that there is a God, unlike the seculars. Humanists believe there is a God, but they believe that, that we're on our own. Uh, they think God wound up the clock and set it down and said, okay, do what you want, do what you can, do your best. That is not, that is not the God of the Bible. There are secularists, there are humanists, and there are biblicists. The Bible makes it clear that humanity is made in the image of God and designed to live under the loving rule of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are God's highest created order. And we are made to live a certain way, to do certain things uh, a certain way for the glory of God. 
It's important that we do not only the, the right thing, but we do it the right way, that we use this, this glorious gift of life in the way in which God designed it to be. As a person who's not mechanically inclined, I, I marvel at those who, who understand how to use a basic power tool or who can read uh, you know, a, a, a policy manual and, and do construction or, or work on equipment as it should be done. As it is, um, I, I'm more like these folks. I could see myself probably in almost all these examples. You know, you got the no scaffolding, no worries. You get Bubba to just bend over, right? What, we need an extra four feet? Let's go. Bend over, Bubba. I'm going to stand on you with this here saw, and we're going to make it. You know, safety, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that guy's about to, to lose his backbone right there, right? It's a goner. I really appreciate the guy in the green truck, because I could totally see myself using a ladder to hold up a truck to fix something that I don't even understand what it is at the bottom. I would hope that I wouldn't be the guy with the rope around his neck. You know what happened there? There was a policy. You must tie this rope around you. It's policy. They should have said, but not your neck. Imagine when the the ladder slipped on that one. That's a bad day right there. That's game over right there. It's very important that we not just do the right thing, but we do it the right way. We must be wise in, in how we use what God's given to us in life how we use our minds, how we use our affections, how we use our hands. All of this is meant to glorify God. We all, everybody, every human being wants the same thing. We want peace. We want harmony. We want happiness. We want joy. And, and, and one word that, that, that basically, I think, kind of brings all that together is we want to thrive. To be a thriving people, we have to do the right thing the right way. Unfortunately, as human beings now in a state of sin by nature, we we cannot, we cannot be a thriving people. But thanks be to God because of the gospel. Even though we've lost God's design because of our sin, we're not trapped. We don't have to remain in brokenness. We can repent and believe the gospel, the good news of what God has done so that we can pursue and recover God's design. And when we pursue and recover God's design, we become a thriving people. And what is thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Our our text today shows us how to do that. How to be human beings who are thriving by the power of the gospel. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Psalm chapter eight. Psalm chapter eight. I am hoping that soon, and maybe even next week, there will be a child approaching the stage to read God's word for us. But as it is, the preacher will do it today. So let's all stand up in honor of God's word. I'm gonna read all of Psalm chapter eight. Beginning in verse one. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your finger, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. This psalm, this beautiful hymn, it's a praise. It's a praise that enables God's people to understand and to celebrate the privilege of being made in the image of God, of being God's priority in his created order. And so doing it points us back to Genesis 1 and 2. And, and do yourself a favor and go uh, today and read Genesis 1 through 2 and remember the order and re- remember the dignity that was given to human beings. It also points us to chapter 3 when it begins to speak of foes and avengers. Because in chapter 3, of course, we as a race were we were deceived and we chose to turn our backs on God by the temptation of, of the evil one in the image of a snake. Now what this does do, as we look at all of it, it, it allows us to acknowledge this, this unique, unique value that God's people have. God's people being the redeemed people who, who have this, this, wonderful, this wonderful gracious act, this, this wonderful saving grace without in any way missing, missing the common grace given to all human beings. And we'll see all that in, in, in today's message as we, as we unpack this text. But first, but first I want to remind you of something very, very important. And I want to show you an example of this point as it exists in this text. The Bible, as you well know, is a single story made up of four parts, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And so what we have, hold on, did I miss one? Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. I forgot rescue. We need that one. That's a good one. Now, the hero of this story is Jesus. So the Bible is ultimately and finally about Jesus. When you're reading the Bible, you need to look for Jesus. And I know there's someone saying, well, wait a minute. What about when I'm reading the Old Testament? Is Jesus in the Old Testament? The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Psalms in particular do a wonderful job of helping us understand Jesus. And this Psalm in particular does because it's actually quoted in the New Testament. If you would, hold your finger there in Psalm chapter 8. And let's go to the place in the New Testament where this Psalm is quoted. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, we see how Psalm 8 is about Jesus and we understand the power of the gospel. So look in Hebrews chapter 2 and let's look in verse 6. Hebrews 2 verse 6. It has been testified somewhere. Now that that is not Turabian style uh, citation right there, okay? That, that's not Chicago style either. That, that would not work in my, in my graduate studies, but, but it works in the Bible. It has been said somewhere, he's quoting now, the, the author, I should say, is quoting the Psalm, Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Now, the, the Psalm points us in a particular direction. You made him. Now he's beginning using that pronoun in a, in a bit of a different way. It's it's not the collective, it's the individual, and we'll see why in just a moment. You made him for a little while. Don't miss that time stamp. It's important. For a little while. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He, He left nothing outside of his control. 
At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Why don't we see everything in subjection to him? Because we're limited. We're finite. We can only see from a particular perspective at a particular time. God is over all things. And so he sees all things and he knows reality. And the reality is all things are subjected to the son who is the king of heaven, the king of glory, Jesus Christ. Verse nine, but we see him who, now look at that timestamp. There it is again. For a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus. That's how we know that that pronoun in verse seven points specifically to Jesus, that there is an explanation here of our psalm, Psalm 8, that, that reveals to us the reality of the eternal plan of God. Now we understand it in time. Look at again, the time, the time set for a little while, twice, twice it's there in a very short portion of scripture, because what God is doing here with his word is saying, he's saying, you, you can't know all that there is. But God knows. God knows all. And what he's revealing to us here is the will of God, the plan of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God. That's what we see in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, we might ta- he might taste death for everyone. Here we see the emptying. Uh, you might want to, uh, next to that, uh, write in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Uh, there, that's the canonical hymn. It's one of the earliest songs that the early church used to sing. And it speaks of the kenosis, the emptying of, of Jesus, of his, 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 his dignified position to become like one of us for the salvation that he alone could bring and provide. Go to verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. This is the power of God revealed in the gospel. Jesus Christ overcoming the evil one. And look at that good news. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But now, verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, again, the gospel, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This text, Psalm 8, is about humanity, but ultimately it's about Jesus. It's important that you always look for Jesus when you're reading the Bible, Old and New Testament. Jesus is there because he's the hero. And as the hero, we understand our own humanity and the goodness of God in the creative order. Let's go back now to Psalm 8. And let's understand that our text today, this psalm, this beautiful hymn, helps us understand the truth about humanity and what the gospel enables us to do. Through the scriptures, throughout all the scriptures, we understand the dignity that God has given to humanity. So we must understand these four things and take note of what humanity is. Take note. The truth is, humanity is designed. We are not an accident. We are designed. We are designed to reveal God's power. Oh, please understand, if you don't get anything, get this first point and hold on to this forever. Look how it begins in verse one. Oh, pay very close attention. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Now notice, if you will, the first Lord is in all caps. 
There's a reason for that. Whenever you see the word LORD in all caps, you can know that the, the Hebrew word there is Yahweh or Jehovah. We don't know exactly which one, Yahweh or Jehovah, because when we read Hebrew in its original form, there were no vowels. So out of honor for God, the Hebrew people, when they were reading God's word, when they would get to the word where they would see the Yod, the Hey, and the Vav, they wouldn't actually say the word. They would just nod out of respect for God for fear of mispronouncing his covenant name. What this means is that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, Jehovah, all caps. And those who believe in Jesus know God by his covenant blood. Whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, think the blood of Jesus. Think the blood of Jesus because it's the blood of Jesus that allows us to know this covenant God. It's the blood of Jesus that forms the the basis of our covenant with God that we can know him. But look how we know him. So it says, oh Lord. Now look at the, again, the possessive there, our Lord. First plural. There, there is a community of those who, who sing to him, who praise him, who worship him, who honor him. And what is he to us? Notice the one, the one capitalization of the first letter, Lord. That always designates Adonai. Adonai is, is also translated as king or master or Lord or ruler. So understand, he is our master, king, and ruler. Those who are in a covenant relationship with God by the blood of Jesus Christ are under the lordship, the leadership of Jesus as a a communion of saints, as a unified body of believers. believers. O Lord, our Lord. And and it's in this power that is at work in our lives that, that we experience what God designed us to be. Never forget The power and the glory is God's. We're just vessels. I love the way it's described of us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We are jars of clay, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure. This treasure is Jesus. This treasure is our Lord. It is, oh Lord, our Lord. It is this covenant bond we have with the master, Jesus Christ. He is the treasure, but we have this treasure in us, in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Friends, please understand, life is not about us. It's about God. Meaning in life is not found in getting what we want. It's in giving God what he deserves, which is glory and honor. That's when life makes sense. That's when we can thrive. It's because God is rightly being honored because it is his name. His name is majestic in all the earth. And why is that? Well, his glory is beyond our reach. Look at what it says. You have set your glory above the heavens. His glory is beyond. His weight, his immensity is beyond any, anything that we can think, anything we can feel, anything we can experience physically. He has established his strength, yet... Look at how we're described as human beings, as babies and infants. As babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Now, stick with me here. I want to explain this, 
So here we have these foes, these avengers, these enemies. We have humanity, these babies. And there's a way in which these, these babies are made strong to the glory of God to bring about and to show his great victory. Now, now how does that work? To, to understand that, you have to understand that when, when God created the cosmos, he created two, two creatures with a capacity to choose. To choose morally, to, to make decisions about how they would live and under whom they would serve. These two beings were angels and humans. So what we have in, in the angels are those who are servants of God, who have more power than we do, apparently. And these powerful spiritual beings, these angels, were given the, the power, the capacity to choose. So what did they do? Well, the highest angel, the highest angel, the, the bright morning star, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, he didn't want to, to praise God. He didn't want to glorify God. He didn't want his existence to be about God. He wanted everything to be about him. And so he turned on God and he convinced three, one third of the angels to, to turn against God and to bring him glory and to bring him praise. So he robbed God of glory. And in this war in heaven, the devil, along with those one third of angels were cast out. And those angels are no longer called angels. They're called demons. So we have in our existence now two types of angelic hosts. We have angels that are loyal to God, that praise his great name, and there are demons and the leader, the, the devil. Now, the devil is not equal to God. He is not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere all the time. He doesn't know everything. He's not all-powerful. I am quite certain that the devil is not here now. I don't sense his presence. I don't think any of you do. You would. But there are demons here, and they often hide undercover. And I agree with C.S. Lewis that most of the time they show up in church when they start pinching babies, right? That's what they do. But anything to distract us from giving glory to God, because that's what demons do. They want to rob God of glory. It's what the devil wanted, to rob God of glory. Now, there was another creature with volition. That's us. We were made with the capacity to choose. We were placed in the Garden of Eden, the, the, the first of our kind were placed in the Garden of Eden, and they were protected from everything except, everything except their own capacity to choose to reject God. And God allowed the enemy in the form of a snake to enter into that garden and to deceive the, the first of our kind, and they robbed God of glory. They joined the demons and they turned against God. And that has created the world in which we now live. We now live in a very broken world. And there are some, many, who ask and wonder, why? Why would God allow this? Why would God create a world where this could happen? Where there would be so much pain and suffering with, with, the, with, the, with these two entities, these two creatures able to choose and, and to be deceived and for all of this to happen? Now, the answer, the answer is, is very simple, but it's very profound. And here it is. God made this world and allowed all this to happen for one reason. His glory. His glory. 
not for our entertainment, not for our intellectual pursuit, not for us to, to think that, 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 that we are in, in some way, though blessed, beyond the, the, the need of God. No, no, no. God allowed this so that we, we would learn and that we would choose to depend on God. I'm breaking a policy this morning. It's a personal policy. It's not a church policy. It's a policy I, I, I came to the conclusion of just a couple of years when many of my heroes continue to fall. And the policy that I usually follow is this. Only quote the dead. Because the dead can't do anything stupid. They're already gone. I was quoting people in the past and they were doing stupid things and I was having to apologize for it. So I thought, I'm going to only quote. So I'm going to quote the living today. But I'm quoting who is... It's not an opinion, it's a fact. The greatest preacher on the planet right now, Dr. Tony Evans. I listen to him every day and so should you. Here's what Dr. Evans wrote. He, God, decided to create a lesser creature, someone constitutionally lower than the angels, and let this creature, humanity, demonstrate what God could do with less when that less is committed to him versus what happens to more when that more is in rebellion against him. What did God do for his glory? He created angels who are stronger and more powerful than us. But he did that to show that when that which is less, that is us, choose to trust in the one who is the greatest, that is God, that which is less can overcome that which is greater because they're depending on the ultimate mighty one, which brings him glory. So what the devil and all the demons of hell want to do is to rob God of glory. And what God wants us to do is to foil them. Foil them, not in our strength, not in our smarts, but by simply saying, I trust in Jesus Christ. I trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. I trust in God and the love of God the Father. And rather than trust in myself, rather than rest in my own strength or any other created thing, I trust in the Lord. Oh, Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You took what was lesser, that it might overcome the greater, when that which is lesser lives in dependence upon you. This is our God, and this is his glory, and this is his purpose. Give him praise, give him praise. He is this great God. And so what we have here is a God who saves sinners, and, and it's this revelation of God's power that brings him glory. See, we're very important to God. The devils know it. That's why they're interested in us. They want to embarrass God by destroying our marriages, by destroying our relationships, by, by getting us to commit the sin of idolatry. We're very important. So understand this truth about humanity. Write it down. Second thing. The truth is, the truth is humanity is sacred. We are sacred to honor God's priority. Human beings are sacred to have a special priority in God's creative order. We are sacred creatures with a sacred place in God's heart. God so loved us that he gave his one and only son that we might have eternal life in him. We, we are sacred, and we have a sacred place in God's mind. He thinks about us, and he has a plan for each of us that he's working out. We are sacred creatures with a sacred place in God's hands. God is working not only in us and around us, but through us. 
And the psalmist, as, as we can't help but as well, wonder, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? It's crazy. The psalmist goes on to marvel at the glory and honor God gives humanity. Verse 5, yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Where does that glory and honor come from? It comes from the intrinsic value that we have having been made in the image of God. But that glory is realized and experienced by us when we repent and believe the gospel. See, we receive glory and honor because in God's redemptive love, we are saved. In God's redemptive providence, we are guided. In God's redemptive power, we are transformed and God works and moves in us and through us and all around us, all for his glory. What the psalmist makes clear is that humanity is God's priority, specifically his children. His adopted children are his primary priority. Let me explain. You know, when, you, when there's a coach or maybe the owner of a company, that coach and that owner of the company cares about all the people on that team or in that organization. But if that coach or, or owner of that company has a child on that team or a child in that company, while all the people are certainly a priority, that child becomes, yes, the primary priority. And so it is with us. God loves all people, and so are, are we to love all people. No matter what they've done, no matter what language they speak, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their nationality, from the moment of conception until they breathe their last breath, every person is to be honored with dignity out of respect for God. There is, for those who repent and believe, this this primary priority that is given to us because of our Father. While He cares for all humanity, He looks at us. And, and that brings with it both, both advantages and challenges. The advantage is like the, the kid whose dad's the coach or who, the, the kid whose who's, who's parent is the owner. That they know there's going to be special opportunities. There's going to be greater communication concerning opportunities for advancement. There's going to be this, this push from the, from the leader to say, come on, come on, let's go. It also brings challenges because that parent is going to expect results. That parent expects there to be a, a distinctive nature within that one that represents that of the owner. And so it is with God's children. Our God is always working to make us like Jesus. Now, is that hard? You better believe it is because not only do we have this host of demons with the devil that want to destroy us to rob God of glory, but we have our own father who constantly is testing us. Remember what it says in James chapter one, verse three, uh, bro brothers, count it all joy when you meet with trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And we're to let steadfastness have its full effect that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the will of God. This is the work of God, and it's hard. It's hard, but it's good. Being the primary priority of God is a great blessing, but it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. 
It means that life is going to be a greater challenge. And all of that is to the praise of his great name. All humanity is sacred. (laughs) And all humanity is God's priority. But his redeemed children, those of us who believe, we are his primary priority. And because of this, the truth is humanity is, and write it down, responsible responsible to serve God's purpose. All humanity is is responsible and will be held responsible at judgment. We who are the redeemed of God, we are responsible to honor our father in the family business to bring glory to his great name. God has a unique purpose for humanity. We are to exercise dominion over creation. Look in verse six through eight. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the, of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. We're responsible for creation. We, it has been placed under our dominion. We've been given work to do. Don't forget this. This is important. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. There was work in the Garden of Eden before the fall. What makes work a pain is the fact that we're working in a fallen world. But what makes it a blessing is that we're free to use our creativity and our energy and our natural abilities to do something that matters. And everything that we do for the glory of God, it matters. Everything that we do matters. Please understand, as humanity goes, so goes the world. And the world is not doing well. And the reason why the world is not doing well is because humanity is not doing well. Because we are not serving God's purpose. We have a design, and these designs are meant to be a blessing. There are blessings when marriage is honored because children are cared for and families are made strong. And where there are healthy families, there's a healthy society. We don't have a healthy society. There are blessings when justice is served because life is valued and respect is given. Where there is justice, there is a healthy society. We don't have a healthy society. There is a blessing. There are many blessings when honest work is rewarded because people are motivated to work hard and do well. Where there is honest work, there is a healthy society. We don't have a healthy society. We don't have a healthy nation and our nation is in danger because we're not serving God's creative purpose. Marriage has been redefined and there's great confusion. Justice has, not, has been withheld and there's a lack of trust. Honest work is not always rewarded. We understand that we have a, a, a blessed nation and there are times when the government will help those who can then work and be able to provide for themselves. But that's not what our government's seeking to do. Our government is seeking to create slaves. Our government is leading people to be dependent upon it. And we're all too willing. That's why everyone's so worried about what's happening in the House of Congress or the White House and not God's house. Because the truth of the matter is, our trust is not in God. Our trust is what what happens in government because we have been suckered into believing that the government will take care of us. Can I tell you something that history holds to? This is a fact. All governments fail. The towers of Babel keep crumbling down. They may make it a few hundred years. But what happens? Marriage gets redefined. What is moral gets removed. People stop working and taking responsibility. There is a lack of justice. Friends, as God's people, we must be diligent. 
We must be diligent to be responsible to serve God's purpose. And when we do, there's a blessing. One of the great blessings is that our work matters and it becomes a joy. Every single one of us has a purpose. And when we are serving that purpose and we are doing everything that we can for the glory of God, there is great joy. Everything we do matters to God. And I know it doesn't always feel like it. I know there's things that I do during the week and I just think, does God really care about this? Friends, every diaper changed matters to God. Every keystroke hit matters to God. Every conversation matters to God. Every every customer that is cared for matters to God. Every decision for employees, every boss, everything you do matters to God. And it is and it is meant to honor God. It says in 1 Corinthians 10:31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And when we do it to the glory of God, it becomes sacred. (laughs) When you change stinky diapers to the glory of God, it becomes sacred. When you serve customers to the glory of God, it becomes sacred. When it's to the glory of God, it's holy. It's holy work. And we are privileged as redeemed people to do all that we do for the glory of God. And in the process, we are blessed. Again, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of humanity? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. When are we going to be happy? When we glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, if you're trying to be happy apart from God, you won't be able to do it. When happiness is sought for its own sake, it's never, it's never sustained. Happiness is like water. When you get it in your hands, it leaks through and sooner or later it evaporates. When God is pursued, happiness is a byproduct. And happiness is always a byproduct of glorifying God. We enjoy him forever because he is forever and ever, unlike any other created thing that we might try to use to make ourselves happy, he won't fail. So what we have in this grace of God is this capacity for worship. And this is the fourth thing to take note of. The truth is humanity is blessed to worship, to worship God's person. Person. Go to verse nine, go to the end. It ends where it begins. And this is not simply poetic. It's a challenge. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. One of the great blessings of being human is that we can know God personally and worship him truly. God did not come to earth as a philosophy or an idea. God did not come to earth as an institution or an organization. God came to earth as a person. Someone we can know, someone we can love, and someone we can obey. Human beings are made to worship. And we're ultimately influenced by, by what, we, what we worship. And, and that's why social media is so dangerous. 
And I don't say it's dangerous just for children. It's especially dangerous for parents because we have often the wherewithal to really bring about a full functional aspect of worship. Let me tell you what I mean. See, this is what social media does. It creates within us a, a, a desire. We see something or someone and we think, oh, I want to look like that. Oh, I want to have that destination. Oh, I want to own those things. Oh, I want to have that experience. And we get fixated on it. And we, then we begin to pursue it. What are we doing as we begin to pursue and create a destination or an idea based on a created thing? We're worshiping. We're bowing down. And we're saying, this is what will make me happy. This is what will make me whole. And that's what we focus our, our minds and our affections and our actions toward. That is idolatry. And it leads, it leads to debauchery and to destruction. What does God call us to? God calls us to worship him. You know what happens when we worship God When we focus our affections on Jesus, when our minds are focused on God's word, when our hands are are living for the glory of the Father, there's delight, there's freedom, there's joy, and there's power because the lesser is living in dependence on the greater to defeat that which is stronger, which is what God wants us to do. That's how life is supposed to work. We're not supposed to do this on our own because on our own, we're just going to mess it up. But what God has created us to do is to depend on him, the almighty, so that we can overcome those temptations of the dark ones that are at work so that we can say, no devil, no demon, no flesh, no world. I'm going to praise and honor God because he is worthy. How majestic is his name in all of the earth. He is worthy. He is God. He makes life. He's the purpose of life. He's the focus of life. He's the meaning of life. Worship him. Do what the Bible says in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And when we present ourselves, our lives, our minds, our affections, and our bodies to God, we thrive. We thrive. Are you thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the confidence to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Can you honestly say that? Can you honestly say, oh Lord, by the blood of Jesus, my Lord, our Lord, our master, you are my life. You are my worship. You're my hope. You're my dreams. Let's pray. Father God, I cannot help but know that in this room there are many who are dreaming and pursuing a life that is not for your glory. If honest, many would say they're using you, God. 
They want to use you to get what they want, which is the enemy's plan. But Father, I believe that you are bringing about an awakening. I believe that there are some here who want to be saved, that they truly want to know you and love you, Jesus. They, they want to know your forgiveness and your peace. And I pray that right now they would ask for it. So right there where you are, if you want to be saved, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That is, tell him that you've sinned and that you believe he's died for your sin. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he has been raised and because he's alive, he can live in you and you will be saved. Repent, turn away from your sin, believe, trust in Jesus and what he's done and commit your life to living for him. Father God, I cannot help but know that there are many of your children in this room today that, that are robbing you of glory. They're believing the lies, the lies of this world, and we are deceived. Would you help us now, Lord God? Holy Spirit, help us now. Would you right now give consideration to your life and ask a very simple question? What do you really desire? Where are you putting your money? Where are you putting your time? Where are you putting your energy? When you don't have to think about anything, what do you think about? And if you could have it all, would it be God? Or if you replaced him with something, a created thing that you're trusting in, that you think is better than God, repent, child of God. You're wrong. Renew your faith commitment to Christ and say in your heart, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that allows us to know that we are loved. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sin and being raised to give us new life. And thank you for this life, this life that, that is designed, this life that has intrinsic value because we are made in your image and now saved to become those who are in the image of Christ. Help us, God. We believe, help our unbelief that we might honor you and find happiness in the process. Do this for your glory and our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.